Good morning and welcome to each one. Greetings in the name of Jesus. It's always scary to do new things and this is a new thing for me. Um, I've never preached anywhere besides at Bethany and the pulpit there is a little bigger. Um, but I do feel like I am amongst friends and Dave assured me that no one here at Peak Bites, so that was comforting. I invite you to turn to the book of John, chapter 14, for a text this morning. The title of my message is, The Way to the Father's House. Today is Father's Day, and it's not necessarily a, a Father's Day message, but... I want to consider the way to the Father's house. So John chapter 14, I want to read the first six verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'd like to back up a little bit and give a little bit of the context of these verses. John 13 is a familiar passage that we look at at communion services during the feet washing, and we know that that followed the, the Last Supper. So it was a time when the disciples were there with Jesus, and they had that um, intimate supper. And during that time and after that, Jesus told them some difficult things. Um, he told them that in, uh, back in 1321, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. That would have been a troubling statement. One of you is going to betray me. Then later, in verse 31 and 33, through 33, he said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall, go, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Now imagine if you were those disciples sitting there, and Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. That would have been troubling, right? To hear those words from their master, from the Lord. And then he said, to Peter, in verses 36 through 38, he said, Sim uh, 
Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me hereafter. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Those would have been very troubling words to any one of us if Jesus had told us, look, I know you want to follow me, but you're going to end up denying me three times before the night's out. That would bring trouble to our heart. And that brings us to the very next words that Jesus speaks. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And he gives that as like a command. Stop being troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he shares some reasons why he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's calling them in a time of trouble to place their trust in God. Believe in God. And that's so important for us today when our hearts are troubled to turn our eyes in faith to God and trust him. Nothing that comes our way is going to be outside of God's control. He's a sovereign God. And I know there's times when it feels like things are out of control. But God is always in control. And he calls us to believe in him, to trust in him when we are troubled. He also says, he talks about heaven. Or he says, in my father's house, which is another way of referring to heaven. In my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I like how Jesus refers to heaven as my father's house. You know, think about where Jesus was in his stage of life. He was just ready to face Gethsemane and the mockery and the cruelty and the betrayal of the uh, trial before the Sanhedrin and Pilate. And then the road to the cross and the whippings and the scourgings and the agony on the cross. He was just right before that. And I can imagine that Jesus, in his humanity, was longing to be in his Father's house. But he knew he had to go through what he had to go through. And Jesus is saying, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He was, I believe he was looking forward to that day when he could go back to his Father's house. This verse talks about many mansions. And, um, you know, we could, we could think about heaven and try to imagine what the mansions would be like and how glorious, how big, how amazing. Um, I guess that's not wrong. But really, do you think that's going to be the glory of heaven is the big mansions? I am sure they'll be glorious. But the glory of heaven is going to be being in our Father's house, being in the presence of God, being there with our Father. 
And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare that place for you. And I really wonder what that means. What does it mean that Jesus was going to prepare a place for you? Was he going to build mansions? Were they not made yet and he had to go make them? I don't know. We don't know. But it says that he was going to prepare a place for you. And I don't, you know, we just don't know what that means. But there is something special or heartwarming about that. Um, probably many of you are parents or have had a child and or know what it's like to expect a child. And when that's happening, you know a baby's coming. You make some preparations. You clean out a junk room. That's what we had to do. Clean out a junk room. And we fixed it up a little bit. I made a cradle and did some things. We, we prepared a place for our first child. And I believe that Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was going away from them. He's saying, I'm going a road that you cannot follow. But I'm going to come back. And he was assuring their troubled hearts that he was not abandoning them forever, but that while he needed to go away, he was going to come back for them. The separation they were about to face was a temporary separation, not a permanent one. And I believe those words that where I am, there you may be also, is some of the most comforting words that Jesus could speak to their troubled hearts. In verse 4, it says that Jesus told his disciples that they knew where he was going and that they knew how to get there. And I've wondered about that verse. Why did he say that? Because it seems like the disciples met that statement with blank looks and wondering what he was talking about. And I wonder if Jesus had thought that, you know, he had talked enough about heaven and the way to get there that they should have known. I don't know. But it says that he, he said, and where you go, I know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Maybe there is something kind of refreshing about Thomas's honesty here. They didn't know, and maybe sometimes when we are clueless, we just pretend we know the way. It might be good for us sometimes to be truthful and say, you know, I really don't know. I don't know where the way uh, that I need to go. For the disciples, it wasn't clear what, where Jesus was going and how to get there, but we know that Jesus was talking about going back to his father's house. But the question that Thomas asked there is, how can we know the way, is a question that I feel like we need to ask ourselves today. How, what is the way to the father's house? How can we get there? Jesus gives us 
the answer in the next verse, in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The only way for you and I to make it to the Father's house is through Jesus. There is no other way for us. And I know that may sound overly simplistic, but that is a foundational truth of our Christian faith, that the only way that we can make it to the Father's house is through Jesus. There are not many ways. There is only one. Jesus is our only hope for salvation. There's no other way for us to make it to the heaven, to the Father's house. There's not many solutions to our sin problem. There's only one, the blood of Jesus. He is our only hope for salvation. When Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin and questioned about by what power and by what name they had healed a man that couldn't walk, they said, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he is made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which, the, you re, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we want to be saved, if you and I want to make it to the Father's house, we are going to have to come through Jesus. There is no other way for us to come. And not only that, but we have one chance. We have one life to live. And if we spurn our opportunity, there will be no hope for us. We have one life to live. I'd like to think now a little about what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. Why is that important? Why, what, what does that mean? Well, when we are without Christ, we wander aimlessly through life. We may try this road for a while, and we, we may try that road. But I think we all find, we find that they are all dead ends. And we will not find the peace for our souls until we come back to Jesus and find that he is the road to the Father's house. When it says, Jesus says, I am the way, it literally means I am, I am the road or I am the path that you must take. And I was thinking about, um, you know, when you're, let's say you were taking a walk and you come to this chasm and you see it straight down for 100 feet and there's a raging torrent at the bottom and it's straight back up on the other side. But you want to get to that side. How are you going to do that? Is that possible? Probably not. 
unless there is a bridge there. Something for you to cross over that torrent, that chasm. My friends, we have a bridge. We have a path that can get us to the Father's house, and that is the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the way. I believe it also means that we follow him in his example of how he lives. We live like Jesus lived. Jesus was a man of compassion, and he used his time here on earth to, to help others, to heal, to teach people the truth, to show them the way. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I believe, friends, if we are going to follow the path of Jesus, we're going to do what he did. We're going to preach the gospel to the poor. We're going to try to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captives. We're going to seek, like Jesus, to serve and not to be served. We're going to be willing to lay down our lives for the good of others and for the sake of the kingdom. And I believe that when we follow his example, we are following him on the path or on the road. I believe that Jesus is the way, means that we follow him and his example of cross-bearing. Jesus took the way of the cross. He could have said no, but he allowed himself to go, or he took that road voluntarily. And I believe that for us today, we have to choose the path that Jesus did of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him every day. That means we are not, not afraid to be identified with him. We are not ashamed to be associated with him. Following Jesus on the road means that we may be persecuted or mocked by others. We may face ridicule. Are we willing to suffer that, to endure that? By following Jesus on the path, on the road. Jesus is the path. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the road. And that's not a pain-free and bump-free road. In fact, it may be a road of suffering and persecution for us. But I want to assure you that when we make it to the Father's house, it will be worth it all. Jesus said, I am the truth. Why is this important? Why is truth important? Pilate asked Jesus maybe one of the most profound questions of all times. He said, what is truth? And haven't you asked that many times in the last while? What is truth? We live in a world where truth may be one of the rarest commodities out there. It is so hard in this day and age, to discern what is truth. When we live in a world that I believe almost every source you turn to that comes from the world is going to have some for bias or slant or something to it. 
And if you're expecting Fox News or CNN or Facebook to feed you the truth, my friend, you're deeply deceived because they're not going to feed you the truth. There may be elements of the truth there, not completely disregarding that. But they don't care as much about the truth as they do feeding you their bias and getting you to buy their products. So in all this confusing mess of what is truth, it's just like an anchor to our souls to hear Jesus saying, I am truth. Jesus is the truth means that the words he spoke and really all of Scripture is the bedrock of which we base our lives on. It's the basis for our worldview. It's the truth of Scripture that we shape our lives by. It's like a rock. It doesn't change. It never moves. The Scriptures are there and they're solid. Jesus is that living word. He's in, and, you know, we may come from different backgrounds and different perspectives perspectives and different persuasions but as Christians we gather around God's word we gather around the truth of God's word and we read it and we study it and we apply it and I know sometimes that's a journey for us to get there to agree on what it means but the truth Jesus the living word is the bedrock that we build our lives on so in a world of confusion and fake news, I find it to be an anchor for our souls when Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus said, I am the life. Why is this important? Why do we need life? To answer this question, we really need to go back to the Garden of Eden, to the very first command that God gave mankind. And he told them that if they ate of the tree of the middle of the garden, or even touched it, they would surely die. Now the serpent deceived Eve, and she took it. And she, he deceived Eve and told her that she would not surely die. So she took it, and she ate, and she gave to Adam. God had told them, if they touched, ate it or touched it, they would surely die. Now, did they fall over and die physically? No, they didn't. But I believe they died spiritually at that time. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as though through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sin. I hope I'm right in my theology, but I don't believe we are born spiritually dead. But I believe that we are born with a propensity to sin and that we have all sinned. And therefore, we have all died spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, as we see in Ephesians and Colossians. But the wonderful news is, that while we have all sinned, and while we are dead spiritually before Christ, that we can be made alive in Christ. That deadness can be made alive. Jesus is the life. Ephesians 2, 
In Ephesians 2 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards Jesus Christ. Jesus also said in John 10.10, he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Praise the Lord that we who are dead in sins can be made alive in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in Christ, we are not just made alive, but his life is lived out in us through the form of his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Christ liveth in me. We sing that song sometimes. Christ liveth in me. That means his life is within me. There's spiritual life within a Christian. Without this truth, it would be impossible for us to live the Christian life without the Spirit of Christ living within us. Can you imagine trying to live the Christian life without the power and life of God in your life? It's impossible. You'll be spinning your wheels without the life of Christ within you. Praise the Lord that Jesus is the life and he lives within us. So Jesus says to us today, I am the way. And so we follow him and his example to our Father's house. He is the road. He is the bridge for us to make it to our Father's house. Jesus says to us, I am the truth. And so we believe him. We believe his word. We obey what he says. Jesus is the living word, and he is the basis for how we think and how we view the world. It's the anchor to our souls in a world of relativity. Jesus says to us, I am the life. And so we worship him for, a, for making us alive who were once spiritually dead, and we praise him for continuing to live within us and give us the power to live the Christian life. Thomas, in this passage, asked Jesus, where are you going and how do we get there? And Jesus was returning to his father's house and he was longing for his disciples to be with him there. And I believe that Jesus is longing for each one of you to be with him in his father's house. But how do we get there? The, the answer is very simple. Jesus is the road to the father's house. If we want to get there, we must take the road. There is no other way. I can offer you no other choice than through, but through Jesus. John Wesley wrote a piece in a preface to a book, one of his books. He said, to candid, 
reasonable men, I am not afraid to lay open what have been the inmost thoughts of my heart. I have a thought. I am a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf until a few moments hence I am seen no more. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of men. I sit down alone. Only God is here. In his presence I open and read his book. For this end, to find the way to heaven. I like the picture that John Wesley gives here of our lives being an error, passing through the air. And I don't know how many of you are bow hunters here, but I'm guessing that probably all of you have either shot a bow or seen one shot. And the question is, how long is that arrow in the air? Not very long, right? It's just, and that's kind of a, a glimpse of our lives. It's just, our lives are short. I know sometimes they seem long, but they are short. James says it's like a vapor. And it's not long until that arrow is reached its target. It either hits, it hits where you were aiming, or it, it misses. But if your aim is off, if you are shooting for the bullseye, or you're shooting for that monster buck, and your aim is off, what's going to happen? It's not going to hit where you want it to go. Once that arrow has landed, there's no changing the outcome. And you know, bows and arrows and targets and big bucks, they really don't matter in the big picture. But imagine with me the tragedy of a life that lands wrong that doesn't make it to the Father's house. That is tragedy. And so today, if you are not on the road to the Father's house, I would like you to join me, join us, in coming to Jesus. No, it's not always an easy road. And you must surrender your entire being and life to the Lord to be on that road. You must come to God in repentance of your sins and turn in faith to God. But I promise you that once you arrive at your Father's house, you will never, ever regret the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Will you come to Jesus and follow him to your father's house?
May the Lord bless you.